Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible today to the 11th chapter of Acts, this is going to be the, the final installment of our rather lengthy What Do Disciples Do series. been looking at the book of Acts and saying, all right, what in the world did they do that so set the world on fire for Jesus Christ? They did some things. We want to know what they did. We had an opportunity to be at the Marines, Marine Williams graveside service yesterday, and there were very few of us there uh, because very few of us could be there. Uh, and so they, it was basically for family only and a few assorted others. Uh, and so we, uh, we there gave witness to what Jesus has done in and through Marine Williams. But I want to say, um, in fact, I looked it up yesterday just to make sure I was right on this. But over and over again, it talks about how we're going to be judged one day. And pretty much most of the cases say we're going to be judged by our deeds, what we do. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't put a lot of weight on having a personal relationship with Jesus. You ought to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We believe what Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, and that is, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We're not saved by works, lest any man boast. But then he says, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So that's the fruit. And you all know what happens to trees when Jesus walks by and there's no fruit on them. He gets a little irritated. Uh, He can put a curse on that tree. That's called judgment day. I want you to know it's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want you to know you're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But I also want you to know if those two realities are big in your life, then the third thing's going to follow. You are going to be a man, a woman, a boy or a girl that is great in deeds. You'll do some things. And you can say what you want to about Maureen Williams. One thing we can testify, she did some things. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what you call the weightier matters of the law. She did some things. And it says that one day we'll be kind of in two groups of people, sheep and the goats. And he'll say to the sheep, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was sick in prison, you came to me, you ministered to me. And the sheep, just like Maureen Williams, will say, when? Uh, Always like what Keith Green says about this when he writes a song about it. He says, I think I would have remembered a face like that. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When When did we see you in prison? And Jesus is going to say, and as much as you did to the least of these, you did it unto me. We are called as persons to the least of these. We are called as a church to the least of these. If we're not found in ministry to the least of these, I think it's clear in Scripture we've got problems. Particularly on Judgment Day. So let's be mighty in deeds. Let's be the church that says, personal relationship with Jesus, absolutely filled with the Spirit, yes, yes, yes. 
Saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, no question about it. But if those things are true in our life, then it's going to follow. We're going to have fruit that's called deeds. It's called taking the poor, the oppressed, and the disenfranchised seriously. Amen, Dayspring? Let's be that people. So that's why we spend so much time talking about what we are supposed to be doing. All right? And so we're in chapter 11 today. And if you please stand in reverence to the Word of God. We're going to go to 11, verse 19. The church at Antioch. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews only. But, I love that but. In fact, I like it so much I'm going to circle it right now. But. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And the large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So they said, whoa, what's going on up north? We better go check it out. And they sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Verse 23, then when they had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, Barnabas rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Because Barnabas was a man of good and full. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. We haven't heard about Saul for a while. To look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, there are some prophets that came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. And in proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now, I'm going to skip over now to chapter 13 and read just a couple verses. Now, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Precious Lord, help us this morning. We're talking for the final time today in this series, what disciples do. We want to do what you want us to do. Well, I think we could look at this passage for inspiration. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So with Marine passing, and uh, what we're going to do is hold a memorial service for her, perhaps Saturday. It looks like more likely the Saturday after that. Just letting you know when we have it, I hope we have a good number of people here because those, uh, those young men need to hear us talk about their mama. I want to be here. I want to be here with you. 
and uh, hope we, we can come. Uh, we'll, we'll serve them a little meal afterwards. Won't be for everybody. Uh, some people had reservation because of COVID, so we'll probably just do it for a small number here. I'm just going to suggest you here, let's do that. But that Maureen scenario has me thinking about what we are as a church. Furthermore, the district superintendent is flying through today. So he's over in Vicksburg right now, uh, meeting with uh, me and Mary at uh, 2 o'clock for coffee, and then we're going to be back here at the church at 3, and it's a time for the review of the pastor. So all the more thinking, all right. Who are we as a church? And then particularly, of course, you know, they're, they're talking about me today. What am I as a leader and what direction should we be going? And I can think of nothing better to think about the day, honestly, than this passage. Because it talks about the church at Antioch. And my hero, E. Stanley Jones, wrote a book on these chapters and said, listen, the church at Jerusalem, they seem to be stuck there in Jerusalem. And it's about ready to become a Jewish movement only, just a sect within Judaism. But all of a sudden, some people are starting to break out. And some of them broke out and went to Antioch and said, we're not just going to talk to Jewish people, we're going to talk to Greek people too. The Hellenists, they called them. And all of a sudden, things break out in Antioch. And I want things to break out in Dayspring. In fact, over our 20-year history, I think some things largely have broken out. We're going to talk about those things. So, all this started because of something really bad. They were being persecuted. And what happened when they were persecuted? They began fleeing for their lives, but God does something good in the bad thing. Let me ask you this. Is your God big enough to do something really, really, really good during a bad thing? The worst thing to ever happen to you in life the worst thing. Do you suppose God could take the worst thing and make it good? Hmm. And so, we believe at Dayspring, even during persecution, even if some of us have had an abortion, even if some of us have been abused, even if some of us have spent most of our life either incarcerated or addicted, do you suppose our God is good enough and big enough to make something beautiful out of that? Well, what's amazing here is some other people believed it too. And so we don't even know the names of these guys. That's what I love about this passage. We don't know the names of the guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. It says, some guys, give us the names, man. I want to know the names of these. They're heroes. They decided we're breaking out of Jerusalem, we're breaking out of Judaism, we're breaking out of just our little party here, and we're going to go speak to people that no one else wants to speak to because they're caught up in their own little itty-bitty circle. And so God says, I can use some gutsy people, and these gutsy people went to Antioch and began speaking. I love this because I've got... I've always had an idea about my life. I want to leave a legacy. I want a legacy. And I want people to know my name. If it's just my family, fine. But I want to have a big family. I want to have hundreds of relatives out there eventually. I want them to remember what I did. And the Lord caught me up and said, stop it. And he did it through giving me a quotation. There's a quotation of a guy named Count Zinzendorf, the great Moravian, that had such impact on the Wesleyans. And uh, Zinzendorf said this, Preach the gospel, 
die, be forgotten. Because it's not about you, Matt. It's not about your name. It's not about your legacy. It's about the movement of God. It's about God. All you want to do is be faithful and then be forgotten so people don't even remember what you did. They'll remember what God did. Stop trying to build your legacy. Stop trying to say, hey, we need another face up there on Rushmore and ought to be mine. Stop it. Let people forget about you and remember your God. How great would that be? We don't know who these guys were, but we do know they started a hilarious movement in Antioch. And Antioch was the greatest city in the world. Actually, about the third greatest city. The greatest city was Rome. There was Alexandria. But Antioch was known as the third greatest city. It was called the Queen of the East. Antioch the Beautiful. Antioch the Great. Very cosmopolitan. And a byword for luxurious immorality. So we could be immoral, but we could do it on high dollar. And they were famous for their pursuit of pleasure. So, isn't it interesting that the church did quite well in that place? Famous for the worship of Daphne, whose temple stood five miles out of town. The priestesses of the temple of Daphne were sacred prostitutes, and nightly in the laurel groves, there was a pursuit that was reenacted by the worshipers and the priestesses. They had this game every night. And basically, you caught your priestess, and you had sex with that priestess in the laurel groves. Wonderful, right? No, because the morals of Daphne was a phrase that was known all over the world for loose living. And the church says, let's plop down here and make our mark. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Hey, listen, do you think... When disciples did that, they'd learn the message from Matthew 16. Remember, they're in Caesarea Philippi, the region of Caesarea Philippi, and there's a, a place there called the Gates of Hell because thought that's where the entry to and from the underworld was, and that's where the demons and the devils and the gods and the goddesses came in and out. And so you had this Gates of Hell, and the Lord says, hey, the Gates of Hell will not triumph over the church. We will win. Here, we will win everywhere where the church takes its relationship with Jesus Christ seriously, and they did it at Antioch. The morals of Daphne could not defeat the morals of Jesus Christ. So Barnabas saw Gentiles are being assimilated into the fellowship. And so we need, we need to start a church, and we need to start multiple churches in Antioch. And he recognized someone's got to be put in charge of this work. So he says, hey, wait a minute. I remember a guy. <laughs> now, if you're Saul, you, uh, you've been squeezing sand between your toes up there in Antioch for nine years or so. I'm thinking, I'm a little ticked off here. God has a call in my life, but God's people have just told me to go up to Tarsus and chill. We'll, we'll come get you when we need you. And he's been chilling for a while. I mean, it didn't happen bang, bang, like he thought it was going to happen. By the way, like your life hasn't happened. We're on to bang, bang, aren't we? Hey, this thing needs to be taken off. This thing needs to be happening. My life needs to be happening. Hey, I always thought I'd be married by 21, and here I am, 43. Hey, wait a minute. 
I thought that this church was going to take off and we'd be a mega church by now. Hey, wait a minute. I thought, and you thought, all kinds of wonderful things. And it didn't go bang, bang quite like you thought it would. Guess what? It didn't for Saul either. He goes to Tarsus. He's up there. And we don't know even where he's at. But Barnabas is thinking, you know, I need someone with a double background. Someone that knows the Jewish world and the Gentile world because we're starting to speak to Gentiles. So I need, I, need to, I need to have somebody that knows both worlds well. He's thinking one night. I don't doubt for a moment. God says, Saul. Hey, Barnabas, wake up. Saul. He says, hey, I got a brilliant idea. Saul. Now Barnabas takes off and says, let me get Saul skilled in argument to take on the double attack of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the word look, it says Saul went in a look for him. And that word look and the word found are strong words in the Greek. And these strong words basically mean he really had to look for him before he found him. So I'm thinking, what happened? Well, maybe Saul's family rejects him. You can imagine. Saul says, hey, I'm a Jesus follower now. And they don't like Jesus up there. Saul's parents, and so they reject him. We don't know this. We just wonder, maybe the family rejected him. Maybe they're protecting him, believing that the synagogue of the freedmen, we've talked about this, that the synagogue of the freedmen want to come get them and kill Saul now because he's a Christian. Or maybe he's so alienated from his family, he's living up there in the mountains somewhere in a cave. Or maybe he's off preaching somewhere. We don't know. All we know is when Barnabas went to look for him, didn't find him immediately, had to stay after the task, but eventually they're running to each other. And he says, God wants me to ask you to come down to Antioch. Antioch needs you. We've got a movement that's underway. We have to have a guy like you. Will you come? Saul says, yes. And that's one of the greatest things that ever happened in Christian history. Paul Saul being recruited is one of the most important evangelistic things that have ever happened. There is no gospel according to Barnabas. There is no Barnabas epistle. Not any that made it into the canon anyway. We just hardly know anything about a Barnabas. And you want to know why? Because he didn't think he was the most important guy. He says, I think I know the most important guy. God wants me to get him engaged in his work. Y'all, listen. Maybe you're not the point. Maybe it's not all about you. Maybe your dreams coming true isn't the important thing. Maybe you need to be linking people up with other people. And maybe your legacy will be not here, but in heaven, where I suspect Barnabas is getting treated quite well. Why? Because he said, Antioch Christians, meet my double agent. Mr. Jew, and now raised in a Gentile town, he's going to be able to disciple us, and we're about ready to take off. And it happened. Antioch becomes the place, the hub of Christianity. Not Jerusalem, but because Barnabas gets Saul, introduces him, and I'm just asking you right now, who is there you need to be introducing into the kingdom for kingdom purposes? How do you need to be making connections? Some of the greatest people I know, I tell you what, some of the greatest change agents in the world that I've seen are people who don't want the credit. They just want to get people linked up for God's glory. Boy, let's become that kind of church. How can we link some folks up? Now, having said all this, eventually, Antioch, 
supersedes Jerusalem as a center of Christianity. It produced big names like Ignatius and Chrysostom. Had a famous school of theology. By 325, there are 200,000 Christians in Antioch alone. Between 253 and 380, Antioch had 10 church councils. In other words, when they decide, hey, we're going to meet and decide important things for the church, they're doing that in Antioch. And the patriarchs of the church from Antioch take precedence over those at Rome and Constantinople and Jerusalem and Alexandria. They became hugely influential at Antioch because some no-namers decide, let's go preach. Not just to our people, but to other people too. Because Barnabas says, hey, let's link up Saul with this church. And God is pleased with that, and they take off. Now, this is what I did one day. I decided to do it for a class. This morning, I do it for you. I just went down. You can do it too. There's nothing super secret about this. Just go down and list the characteristics of the church of Antioch. You could have a great Bible study today, making a better list than I'm going to give to you right now. But here we go. Number one, the church at Antioch broke barriers. They decided to preach the gospel not just to our people, but the people who aren't our people, too. And so they broke barriers. They began to speak to Greeks also. The first day spring announcement, we say this all the time, I just want to remind you, first day spring announcement we ever made, right? Get up here. And Preston wasn't giving the announcements that day, I was. And we just said, listen, first thing we'd like to say to you is thank you for coming. And if, uh, if some of you don't want to worship with someone of another race, we'd like for you to stand up right now and walk out that door. Wasn't very welcoming, you know, I just kind of... But we wanted, the first thing we do is to say, we are wide open to diversity. Wide open to diversity, and it's still true. Now, diversity of what kind? Well, racial, yes, but more than race. We want all kinds of people to be here. We're, I mean, when we get down there and start talking about diversity, if you look at 13.1, it starts talking about that kind of diversity. There were prophets, there were teachers. Those are two different personality types. Barnabas, there's Simeon, who was called Niger, Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manan, who was brought up with Herod. I mean, there's a Herodite in the group, and there's Saul. That is such an incredible mixture of different people, and I'm thinking, I've always wanted to be a church of diversity. Listen, I'm schooled in church growth, and in church growth, this is what they teach you. People want to be part of a church that's like them. And they're right. So we start off breaking, I mean breaking, one of the first rules of church growth, which probably means that's one of the reasons why we have not become a mega church. It's because we've got all kinds of people. We got poor people, we got some rich people, we've had some millionaires, we've got some folks on food stamps. We've got black, we've got white. We uh by the way, we got Brown meeting just down the hallway today. Yeah, Hispanic church. Did you know that? It's small, but there's about five or six of them right now meeting in one of our back rooms right now. We want to be a diverse church. We want folks that have been prudes their whole life. That would be me. I've never had a drink of alcohol ever, never taken a drug, don't even know what it means to be addicted to chemicals like that. And we've got folks struggling with that right now here today. 
I mean, folks, we are a diverse church. I've dreamed a diverse church my whole life. And we've got it. Now, as diverse as we need to be, no. I'd like to mix it up even more. If it slows down church growth, let's slow down church growth even more if it means, hey, we're going to be diverse like the church at Antioch was diverse, and it means that when we're faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and just saying, hey, let's stick to our own. And for me, that would be white, upper middle class, and uh, six kids, homeschooled. Is that the church you want to be? Not me. Now, I'm glad I'm like that. I'd like to go out there and tell the world, hey, be like me. And I think I can say be like me in some areas of my life. But is that the kind of people I want to be surrounded by? No, because I want to, like Antioch, be a diverse church. And the church growth pundits will say, Matt, it's going to slow you down. And I'll say, I only want to be as slow as God wants me to be slow. I want Dayspring to be as slow as God wants us to be slow if it means we are a diverse church like the church at Antioch. Now, I don't know if you're with me on that or not, but that's where we're at. It says the Lord's hand was with them. Indeed. You always know when the Lord's hand is with a group of people, when there are miracles, when there's generosity, and where there's fruit. Now, I think over the last 20 years, I think we can say we have had miracles in this church. We've had healings. We've had emotional healings. We've had God working in this church marvelously. I think we can say in this church there's been substantial generosity. I think we can say in this church there's been substantial fruit. And so we say, God, bring more of that. That's how we know your hand is with us. It says great numbers believed in 21 and 24. Our baptistry has been full. And where people weren't able to come, we have started to say, let's take the water to them. And we just started because, you know, everybody's got their own little style of this. I'm not a sprinkling man. I'm a a Dunkin' man. I I grew up in a sprinkling church, but I've repented. And so I want to be a Dunkin' man. But we don't want dunk, we'll pour. we'll, We'll sprinkle too. We'll do whatever you want to do, but the fact of the matter is, we believe it's important to have a serious water encounter because the gospel seems to indicate it's very important. And so we say, let's be baptized. But where we go to the prison, I've just decided Duncan or pouring's going to be good for an hour. We get a lot of mess going. We got water going everywhere, particularly on their heads. I'm pouring a big jug on their head in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're not quite overwhelmed, but they're certainly pretty wet. And then we say, hey, come to Dayspring as soon as you can. We'll dunk you down all the way in. Fact of the matter is, we have baptized many. Pound for pound, I'm going to tell you, I think we may well be one of the most evangelistic Church of the Nazarenes in this country, in this nation, because we decided we're not just going to preach our own. We're not just going to assume if you want the gospel of Dayspring, you've got to come to Dayspring. We want to go to the people out there, wherever they're found, but we found some pretty good locations. Prison's a great location. John Hopkins Elementary is a good location. The abortion clinic, not wide open, not very receptive, but not a bad place to save some lives. We think nursing homes, people who are desperate and lonely, respond to the gospel. And over and over again, regardless of the place, we think we can go and see miracles and generosity and fruit and salvations. 
This says the grace of God was shed abroad. I'm going to tell you, grace is basically undeserved favor. Anybody feel like you've been the recipient of undeserved favor? May our church get it collectively. May we get it individually. It says they're first called Christians there. Well, that's, that's not our situation at all here. But I wish you could hear the things I say about you. There's no room for a word like pride, but uh, I'm awfully blessed to be your pastor. I feel exceedingly blessed to be associated with you. And I hope you know I brag about you. Now, the minute I start doing that, i got to say, whoa, let me, let, me, let me back up and say it the right way. You know, God's work through. I started doing that with Maureen yesterday. Look, look what Maureen did. Ah, it wasn't so much Maureen. It was God through Maureen. But even at that, you've got to be willing to God to come into you and through you. Someone's got to be willing to make that happen. But I thank God many of you are that kind of willing. And I'm proud. Eh, proud. I'm sanctified proud to be your pastor. And I do brag about you all the time. I brag about you. I brag about David Dabney. Hope he knows that. I, I brag about the Chisholms. Hope they know that. I brag about the Durs and the Greers and the Joneses. Oh, my goodness. My wife, by the way, that covers a lot of ground. My wife said, oh, we got a lot of Joneses. Yeah, who, you, I'm just saying, Jones, you know who you are. We brag about you. We're excited about you. I am excited just to be linked up and yoked with you because we are not only diverse, but we are having an impact in the metro area for the glory of God. It says here, there were givers. Antioch gave money away to causes beyond themselves. Did you know Dayspring has given over a million dollars to causes beyond our church for the mission of God in the world over the last 20 years? A million dollars! Why? Because you're crazy people! Why? Because God has liberated your pocketbook. Why? Because that's what spirit-filled people do. We say, all right. And by the way, can I say this? We always need your sacrificial financial gifts. But I want you to know, not only you, but those who are listening right now in live stream, and those who will listen to this later, they're given too. And not just a little... It's a hilarious movement to be a part of because even when we can't be here or don't feel like God has liberated us to be here yet, we're giving. And I can tell you right now, let me see your program there real quick there, Micah. This week's, he's got a whole bunch of them there. Way to go, mister. He saves programs. Uh, this week's. I like a man, though, that saves them up. That's great. Listen, Guatemala, did you know some of what you got today, that's what I mean, I put in a little check today. Some portion of that check goes to Guatemala, and thank God for it, because the Mayan culture is enjoying a renaissance, it says. The rediscover of their ancient civilization. We think, well, that's neat, Mayan culture, ancient civilization. No, it's not. It's pagan. It's destructive. It kills people. Christianity comes in and liberates and delivers. Mayan culture? Do you know anything about Mayan culture? You don't want that to happen again. And so what do we do in order for it not to happen again? We plant Christianity. We plant churches. We've sent down there Teresa de Cuesta and said, listen, you go in there and do your church planting thing for the glory of God. And Daphne 
didn't have a chance against Jesus Christ in Antioch. And the gates of hell don't have a chance against the movement of God wherever the gates of hell are, including Metro Jackson. Amen? And so God has called us to plant churches that are going to be culture-altering because that's what we do. That's what we've always done. From Acts on, that's the kind of crazy people we are. Now, we're givers, we're diverse, all kinds of people, all kinds of denominational backgrounds, all kinds of races, all kinds of maturity levels. By the way, can I also say this? All kinds of characters. I mean, we got some characters here. Can I just be honest with you? We got some characters here. And then look at verse or chapter 13. Holy Spirit communicates to us by way of spiritual disciplines. And we've always been serious about spiritual disciplines here, but this is a needed growth area. We need to be more serious moving forward than ever before. It says they were praying, they were worshiping. Praying gets mentioned once, worshiping gets mentioned once. Then it says they fasted and they fasted. Y'all, no show of hands, but I'm asking, how many of you fast regularly? We need to be regular fasters. And fasters, when in fact it comes a time where we say, listen, for these 10, 20, 30, or 40 days, I'm going to go on a fast because I want to go deeper. It's something that the Church of Jesus Christ has done for 2,000 years. And in this movement of Antioch to the world, when Saul and Barnabas get sent out, guess what they were doing? Praying, worshiping, fasting, and fasting. Let's take the spiritual discipline seriously, and while we're taking them seriously, let's do this. Holy Spirit, tell me something missional you want me to do as I'm fasting. Show me, even that we have a great boy. Thank you, Josh. Great music set today. Loved it. But as we're cutting loose on Waymaker, you know it would be a cool thing? If we'd say, make a way for me to get to some desperate people this week. Instead of a Waymaker saying, hey God, make a way for me out of my jam. By the way, I think that's a legitimate prayer. We also, at least with a much passion, I'll say, hey, make a way for me to some desperate, lonely, hard luck person right now. Make a way for, miracle worker? You're a miracle-working God. Lord, could you use these hands this week to go lay them on somebody that desperately needs you and pray for a miracle? Y'all, this is what we're called to, is to be givers and diverse and the Holy Spirit communicating to us through this missional kind of living. Lord, we don't exist just to be blessed. We want to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And then this, to be ascending church. Because that's what Antioch was. They said, all right, let's send. Now, we don't have to be persecuted to send. Jerusalem was persecuted. Judea was persecuted. That's why guys went to Antioch. But you don't have to be persecuted to send. So they said, while we're worshiping and praying and fasting and fasting, God's speaking to us saying, send Saul, send Barnabas, because this movement is about ready to go. And I do mean go. And boy, did it ever go. So we've been alive 20 years, Dayspring has. And i got to face a district superintendent today. You know, I don't know what he's going to ask. Maybe nothing. Maybe he's just going to say, good job, way to go. I bless you and 
move on. But I'd like to think he'd ask. Since we'll be judged one day by what we do. Y'all been together two decades, what have you done? And I'd like to think your board has it within them to say, we've done absolutely nothing except the things Jesus has done through us. But can we tell you what those things are? There have been a bunch of ordained pastors coming out of this church. I remember Tony Campolo one time says, Hey, some of your churches haven't sent anybody out from your church for the last 50 years. That's embarrassing. I thought, oh, God, I never want to be a part of a church like that. Well, we haven't been. At one point, we had 12 missionaries on the field from this church. Right now, we've got two. We're going to lift up more. But we've got ordained pastors, Brian and Brad Easley, Josh Kugel, Caleb Freedom and Matt Marshall, Ray Cooper, Mark Massey, Keith McGeehee. They all lit their fire for the ordination process from day spring. And then we're thinking in terms of the ones that are coming up. Elijah Friedman, Preston White, David Sheffield, Billy Branton. The stats, you see the flags. We've been to 48 mission fields. We've been out... And while we have been out there at the abortion clinic, 925 babies have been saved. We have had well over 800 baptisms, minimum prisoners. We figure about 35,000 prisoners have been touched in the last 20 years, 12,000 prisoner commitments to Jesus, and a million dollars given to missionaries and several missionaries sent out. We've started three churches I'm sad to say only one of them is still living, but that one we're teaming up with to say, can we possibly plant another 10 in the next 10 years? And we intend to get that done. We don't have to start huge, but we need to start. And we're going to say, because we've been worshiping and praying and fasting and fasting, God's going to give us the names of the people who need to rise up and say, we launch you to go plant a church. And once we've got three churches out there, those three are going to work together to plant a fourth. Once we've got four churches, those four churches are going to work together to plant a fifth. And we're going to start a movement. We're not going to just plant some churches. We want to start a movement. Then, of course, we want to recognize that we need, God has put it on your pastor's heart, and I think some of your hearts as well, that we need a restoration center for guys that we minister to, not that we don't know, and we're not going to take state money, because if you take state money, you got to take anybody, and we're not thinking that's very wholesome or healthy. But the folks that we know and we get to meet and have accepted the Lord and are taking Jesus seriously, that they could come to our church and get plugged into a restoration center and basically a discipleship program for ex-offenders. And we think God has given us that vision, and we're going to try to see that done. We're praying for money right now. I mean, let's worship, let's pray, let's fast, and let's fast for money to come in for this restoration center. But we feel that as it comes, God's going to bless this and we can help untold numbers of people. Now, Maureen's not here, but I guarantee you, we wouldn't go along with having a men's center before she would say, hey, what about the women? What about the women? Well, that's got to come too. First things first, we're going to start with the men because that's the mostest, I think everybody would agree, that's the mostest problem we have right now. And that's the mostest ministry we have right now but let's expand it just as far as Jesus wants to expand it. And then we always want to make sure that we're sending people from this church into ministry every week. And we're always wanting to reproduce. Let's always be reproducing ministry, reproducing 
churches. And yes, we'd like to produce a movement. Y'all ever heard of blast radius? It's, it's saying, okay, when a bomb falls, what's the radius around it that it's going to impact? So, a one-mile blast radius, I mean, pretty much everything's destroyed from a mile from where that bomb fell. I wonder what our blast radius is. Uh, let's call it a love radius. How about that? What's our love radius? What are we really impacting? Are we making a difference or are we just doing church to do church? I've been, I've been part of enough churches like that. I just think their whole nine yards is to stay alive. I don't want to stay alive. I want to expand. I want to grow. I want to say, Lord, give us a love radius, a love impact. That'll be extraordinary for your kingdom and for your glory. Ivan Papadaris. was one day on the island of Crete, and he was doing a seminar on peace. Now, it was interesting, because uh, he was from the island of Crete, but he was a man of war. General Ivan Papadaris. And being a man of war, it meant that uh, he knew how to destroy things and how to destroy people effectively. That's what men of war do. But somewhere along the line, he decided, I want to fight for peace. Not fight to do just war effectively. I want to fight for peace. So he took on this lifelong study of how can I be a man of peace and promote peace and teach peace. And so he was actually on this island of Crete doing this seminar on this island of Crete about peace. It was a peace seminar. And there was an author that you may know the name of, a guy named Robert Fulgham. And Fulgham is listening in and... Uh, he can tell it's starting to wind up, and so he's getting ready for when this thing's going to be over. And whenever a seminar ends, I, I do the same thing as a professor. Whenever we're about ready to end, I'll say, okay, are there any questions? And by the time, you know, our, our classes last three hours at Wesley Biblical Seminary. At the end of three hours, no one is going to ask a question. No one wants to stay there another one minute, let alone another ten minutes, which is how long it takes me for answering a question. So... No, of course there's no question. You answered everything perfectly without us even asking. You a professor of the year. Let's go home. That's what everybody's thinking. Let's get out of here. And so, Robert Fulgham has a lifelong habit of saying, whenever someone asks that question, I'm going to say this. And so he did. Ivan Papadar says, All right, are there any questions? And Fulgham raises his hand and asks the question he always asks in these situations. Yes, I have a question. Yes, sir, what's your question? Well, my name's Robert Fulgham, and I've got a question, and it goes like this. What's the meaning of life? And everybody laughs because they know he can't be serious. And that's going to take a long time to answer, and we all want to go home. What's the meaning of life? And everyone's laughing and putting their books away, but the general's looking right at Robert Fulgham, and Robert Fulgham is looking right back at him, and neither one's laughing. He says, I'll answer your question. And everybody in there goes, oh... He says, I grew up on this island of Crete. And the time we were growing up, it was a time of war. What was interesting about the time of war was simply, for a kid, it was kind of exciting. Yeah, you were scared some of the time, but when something would happen, like a bomb going off outside of town, you would run out there the next day to see what you could find. 
And so we did that. One day we heard a bomb. We went to find out what we could find. And sure enough, we found a, a motorcycle that had been blown up. Now, there was no body there, but we looked around for parts, parts that a kid could have fun with. Let's pick up this part. Look at this spring. Look at this. And he said, ah, I found the prize because I found the rearview mirror. Now, it was all jagged in several parts. I took the largest part I could find from this rearview mirror that had been blown up by some bomb. And I said, oh, I think I could do something with this. So he went over to a rock. And Papader says, start making that jagged piece, a rearview mirror, into a nice little round thing. He said, what do you do with that? He says, are you kidding me? If you're a kid, what do you do with that? I mean, you know what happens when the sun bounces off of that? You can, well, you can cause a little havoc if you want to. You can make people move fast if you want to. You can destroy ants. I mean, kill them dead. You can have a lot of fun with, he says, I started doing something that was a personal little game. I decided I'm going to go inside of rooms, inside of houses, inside of buildings, and I'm going to shine light. I'm going to go over to the window. I'm going to take some of that sun, and I'm going to shine the sun into places in that house, in that building, where I know light has never shone before. The sun has never shone before. Papadera says, that became the meaning of my life. He says, I am not the sun. But I can reflect the sun into places that has never seen the sun before. I can reflect the sun into the dark places of human existence that desperately need light. Papadera's then moves back and takes out his wallet. He reaches in and he grabs, he's kept it all these years in his wallet, he grabs the little round mirror. And Papandaris then goes over, and it was perfect because the sun was just going down. He opens up the window as best he can, grabs some of that sun, and he reflects it right into the face of Robert Fulgham. Now Fulgham says, I don't know what you do in that circumstance. All I knew to do was to bow my head and go into a posture of prayer. But then I heard these words. Mr. Fulgham, any other questions? You know what day spring means? It means rising sun. When you came to day spring and became a member, and some of you want to become members, we need to make that happen soon. But when you came to day spring, basically what you said with your membership was, I want to reflect the sun into the dark places of this metro area, indeed of the world, that have never seen the sun, Jesus Christ, before. I want to be dayspring. I want to reflect that sun. So Jesus, that is our hope. That is our prayer this morning. You'd make us more like the perfect reflection of you into places of incarceration, into places of addiction, into places of lostness, 
into perhaps our business that seems sometimes to have no morals at all. Into places, Lord Jesus, that look to us today like the gates of hell. Jesus, we want to reflect you into those places. It's why we exist as the church called Day Spring, Rising Sun. We love you this morning, Rising Sun. We love you this morning, O Day Spring. We love you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Would you please stand? Lord Jesus, and as much as a pastor can do it, I now bless these people called Dayspring to go out into a world and as a church shine in places that desperately need you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you very much.